Good morning to you, and happy Father's Day. Actually, we decided this is going to be Parents' Day. Happy Parents' Day. We didn't really get a chance to acknowledge the mothers on Mother's Day, so we're just kind of going to do both in one. We're, we're doing all kinds of things we've never done before. You know, that's, I'm starting to even question if we're Baptists anymore, because, you know, Baptists say we've never done it this way before, and we get upset, but, you know, God has proven that we, we're a little more flexible than we thought we were. And so we just give him all the glory for everything. And we've got a little gift for you, and, and at the end of the service, we're going to uh, distribute that to you, and, uh, and we've got some, uh, a treat for you. Uh, also, as, as you're leaving, we'll talk more about that in just a minute. If you would turn with me to Psalm chapter 90. Psalm 90. Psalm 90. And I want to speak to you this morning on a subject entitled, Teach Us to Number Our Days. Teach Us to Number our days. Now, as you're, you arrive in Psalm 90, one thing you will become aware of when you look at the, the superscription below the number in the book of Psalms, there's a superscription that will say, A Prayer of Moses, the Man of God. And so Moses is the author of this psalm, and by virtue of the fact that Moses is the author of this psalm, it actually is very unique. It doesn't... Uh, uh, it doesn't borrow any of the phrases or language from the other psalms. If you've ever read through the psalms, you know that there are several phrases that are repeated over and over again. And uh, Psalm 90 is unique in that there are no such repetitions. And by virtue of the fact that Moses wrote the psalm, it is the oldest of all the psalms. So if you're ever on Jeopardy and uh, the, the, the uh, category is the oldest psalm in the Bible, you'll say, what is Psalm 90. Psalm 90 is the oldest psalm in the Bible. It has a lot of parallels with Deuteronomy 33. You don't have to turn there, but just, uh, just for your own uh, perusal at, at a later time. And uh, so let's get right in. This is it's a prayer of Moses, the man of God. Verse 1, Psalm 90. Lord, thou hast been our dwelling place in all generations. Before the mountains were brought forth, or ever thou formed the earth and the world, even from everlasting to everlasting, Thou art God. Thou turnest man to destruction and sayest, Return, ye children of men. For a thousand years in thy sight are but as yesterday when it is past, and as a watch in the night. Thou carriest them away as with a flood. They are as asleep as in the morning. They are like grass which groweth up. In the morning it flourishes and groweth up, and in the evening it is cut down and withered. For we are consumed by thine anger, and by thy wrath are we troubled. Thou hast set our iniquities before thee, our secret sins in the light of thy countenance. For all our days are passed away in thy wrath. We spend our years as a tale that is told. The days of our years are threescore years and ten. And if by reason of strength they be fourscore years, yet is their strength labor and sorrow. For it is soon cut off, and we fly away. Who knoweth the power of thine anger? Even according to thy fear, so is thy wrath. So teach us to number our days that we may apply our hearts unto wisdom. Return, O Lord, how long? And let it repent thee concerning thy servants. O satisfy us early with thy mercy, that we may rejoice and be glad all our days. Make us glad according to the days wherein thou hast afflicted us, and the years wherein we have seen evil. Let thy work appear unto thy servants, and thy glory unto their children. And let the beauty of the Lord our God be upon us, and establish thou the work of our hands upon us. Yea, the work of our hands establish thou it. 
speak to you this morning on the subject. Teach us to number our days. Let us pray. Father in heaven, I thank you for this gorgeous day. And Lord, I pray as I preach the word of God that you would let me speak as the oracles of God. Give me a mouth and wisdom. Hide me behind the cross. Speak through me. Give us an ear to hear what the Spirit of God would say unto the church in these last days. We ask for your glory in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. In order to fully appreciate Psalm 90, it might be helpful to understand the, the context from which the psalm flows. Now, if you compare Deuteronomy 33 with Psalm 90, and many Jewish scholars have done so, they believe that the time that, uh, that the psalm was written was sometime around the end of the, uh, the wilderness wanderings. And Moses is reflecting back on 40 years in the wilderness, and most of the Exodus generation has died out. And uh, the wilderness generation is about to go into the promised land. And so Moses is reflecting upon some of these things. Now, to again, to appreciate this, we need to understand uh, what's going on here. We know that everyone that came out of Egypt that was 20 years old and older, with the exception of Joshua and Caleb, died died in the wilderness. They died in the wilderness. They never made it to the promised land. Even Moses himself, Moses himself, he suffered great loss. He suffered the loss of his sister Miriam, and he suffered the loss of his brother Aaron. And because of Moses' disobedience, he struck the rock instead of speaking to it. Even Moses himself was not allowed to go into the promised land. He, he saw it from afar. Uh, God let him see it, but he was not able to enter into the promised land. And so that helps us gain some perspective as to why Moses is praying this prayer for the new generation that's going into the promised land. And he's asking God to teach the, them to number their days. Now, Israel, about two years into their wilderness wanderings, they came to a place, an oasis in the desert called Kadesh Barnea. You can read about it in Numbers 13. But they come to this oasis uh, Kadesh Barnea and Moses sends out spies to spy out the promised land. They are right on the precipice. They are right on the border of entering into the promised land. They were just within a stone's throw of going where God had promised them to go. And Moses sent out spies. And for 40 days, these spies spied out the land. And these 12 spies came back and 10 of them Ten of the spies brought back what the Bible says, an evil report. They did say, indeed, that it was just like God had promised it would be. It was a land flowing with uh, milk and honey, and they had grapes that were the size of human bodies. Uh, kind of like the, the mystical catfish in Lake Tillery I hear about that, that are the size of a man. But anyway, they said they found the promised land just like God had uh, said it would be. However, they did not believe that they were able to possess the land that God had already given to them and told them that they would be able to possess. So they brought back an evil report and they discouraged the hearts of the people. Only two brought back a good report. That was Joshua and Caleb. They were the only ones that actually survived from the Exodus generation that were 20 years old and upward. So because of this, for the next 38 years, they would wander in the wilderness and they, most of them would die in the wilderness. Now, I, I've got a little piece of paper here because I'm, I'm not good with remembering numbers, but let me offer you some perspective, okay? The Exodus generation was under the, the sentence of physical death 
for 38 years. Now, according to the population numbers based in the book of Numbers, this means that Moses saw the death of, get ready, Moses saw 1,200,000 people die in a period of 38 years. That's a lot of people. Let me offer you some more perspective. If we were to do uh, an, an average here, and this is, again, this is the entire adult population that left Egypt from age 20 and upward. The wilderness, which was intended to be a, simply a, a place of passing through to a new land, became a huge cemetery. What does it mean to have 1,200,000 people die in a period of 38 years? Well, let's drill down the numbers. If you average it out, it means that 31,580 people died every year. More specifically, and this really brings it home, folks. More specifically, it means that of the children of Israel, God's people, Moses' brothers and sisters, 87 people died every single day. That's 87 funerals a day, all because of the sin at Kadesh Barnea when they, they believed the majority report. If that teaches us anything, it teaches us that the majority is not always right. One man in God is a majority. If you're on the Lord's side, you're on the right, you're on the right side. If God be for us, who can be against us? So having witnessed this tremendous death toll, Moses reflects and writes Psalm 90. And so we understand that now at the end of this 40 years, and Moses has, has been walking through a, a graveyard for 38 years, now he teaches, he's asking God to teach us to number our days. So let's look at the psalm. Verse 1, he says, you have been our dwelling place. Some translations will say, God, you've been our shelter throughout all generations. That's a, that's a wonderful truth that I want you to reflect upon, is that even though God... And in Deuteronomy 33, it talks about not only is he is the shelter for us, but he is the everlasting arms. That's where we get our, uh, that beautiful hymn about leaning on the everlasting arms. That even though God is eternal, even though he's everlasting, he's not unapproachable. And that's what makes our God different than all the gods of uh, the pantheon of gods of this world. Is that our God is a personal God. Our God did not ask us to come sacrifice for him, but our God came and died for us. And we ought to praise him for that. Throughout all generations, he's hearkening back to the promise that God made to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Verse 2, he says, Before the mountains were brought forth, or ever you had formed the earth and the world, even from everlasting to everlasting, thou art God. He says, God, you were here before anything was ever made, before the first mountain was ever spoken into existence, before the first man was ever created from the dust of the ground. And God breathed into him. God was there. And God was there at the beginning. And notice he says, from everlasting to everlasting. God was there in the beginning. And when all is said and done, God will still be standing. People can try to remove God from every facet of society. They will do so at their own peril. Because God's word will endure. Jesus said, heaven and earth will pass away. But my word will never pass away. God himself, he is the one who is and was and is to come. Jesus said, I'm he that liveth and was dead, and behold, I am alive forevermore. God's not going anywhere, folks. This world is going to be burned up. It's going to be rolled up as a scroll. The things that you see are temporal, but God is eternal. He's from everlasting to everlasting. Verse 3, he says, you turn man to destruction. This word in the Hebrew is unique. It literally means crumbles to dust. You know, man was made from the dust of the earth, and dust will he return unless he goes by way of the rapture. And even that's going to require a change. We talk about that on Wednesday night in our Bible study. 
and God says, look at, look at the invitation God says to us in verse 3. He says, return, you children of men. You know, in all of God's judgments, in all of God's discipline with us, in all of God's dealing with us, the intent is never to destroy us. The intent is always to bring us back to Him. You see, God loves us. God is a loving Father. The book of Hebrews says that God is a Father who chastens His children. God will purify us and refine us. It's not an evidence of a lack of love. On the other hand, on the contrary, the fact that God cares enough to discipline us and chasten us is evidence of His love. I'm reminded of the church of Laodicea. You know, you can travel all around this country and you'll find some of the names of the seven churches in Revelation. You'll find, uh, you'll find a Sardis Baptist church. And, that, you know, they were the dead church, you know. Uh, but but Sardis, you'll find Sardis Baptist church somewhere. You'll find Corinth Baptist church. They weren't one of the seven churches in Revelation. You'll find Smyrna. You'll find Smyrna, the church of Smyrna Baptist church. You might even find Thyatira. You might find Ephesus Baptist church. But one church you'll not find is the church of Laodicea. <laughs> You'll not ride around and find the first Baptist church of Laodicea. You know why? Because they've got a horrible reputation. They've got a reputation of the church that makes God sick, makes him want to throw up. But you know what Jesus said to that church of Laodicea? You ought to never lose sight of this fact. This church that, that Jesus said, I'm ready to vomit you out of my mouth, he also says, as many as I love, I rebuke and chasten. Jesus even loved that lukewarm church. So there's hope for all of us, praise God. But he said, as many as I love, I rebuke and chasten. And so that's the intent of God's chastening, is, is for us to come back to him. Look Now, verse 4, he says, A thousand years in thy sight are but as yesterday, when it is past, and as a watch in the night. So from God's perspective, a thousand years is just like yesterday, only a 12-hour period, not even a 24-hour period. But, but Moses gets even more pessimistic. He said, really, from God's perspective, it's not even a whole day or a 12-hour day. He says, it's like a watch in the night. You know, from the Jewish culture, they had the nighttime was divided into watches of the night. Uh, you've read about that in the Gospels, probably. They would be, the, the nighttime would be divided into four-hour periods. And he says in verse 5, you carry them away as with a flood. They are as asleep in the morning. They are like grass which groweth up. So in other words, Moses said, our life has really passed away like we're sleeping. It's kind of like we wake up from a nap and life has passed us by. I don't know about you, but, but the older I get, it seems like time is flying. Anybody can bear witness with that? The older we get, it just seems like time just goes faster and faster. And now that's not the case when you're young. When you're young, you think you're going to live forever. When I was 15 years old, that year was the longest year in recorded history because I was waiting to get my driver's license. And it felt like every day was like six weeks because I was waiting to get behind the wheel of that vehicle and that was the longest year for me to gain my independence but but looking back now it seems like just yesterday that I was uh, getting my license and riding around for the first time just as asleep in the night now he says uh, in verse 6 he says in the morning it flourishes and grows up and in the evening it's cut down and withers that's kind of a short span of time but he's talking here about the flowering the, the flourishing well, I read something in Israel, and that the, the time of flowers in Israel, is a, there's really a, a short flowering season. Uh, it's, it's only there for a little time. And what Moses is saying is, really, when you think about our life, we, we only blossom for a short time. Now, let me offer you some perspective here. And God designed it this way for a reason. But when you, not all of the years of our ages, not all the years of our life are spent flourishing. Amen. We're born into this world, how? 
as a little baby. And when we come into this world, we are fully dependent on someone to take care of us. A nursing, uh, we, we nurse our mothers and we're, we're fed by bottles. And, and then there's that period of time where we're learning to walk. And, and then eventually we start running and we never stop. But we, and then we're in school, you know, we're under tutelage and we're, uh, we're being trained and, and, and we're being prepared for society. And then we have a, a, a period of time when in, when in our 20s to our 40s where we're, we're kind of learning some things. We thought we knew everything when we were 15 or 16 years old. But then we, we get to age 20 or 40 through 40, we start to kind of learn a little bit about the world and we begin to experience some things. So I would encourage you young people, your parents are not as dumb as you think they are. They've, they've been through some things. And then from that period of 40 to 60, that's kind of when we flourish. We've kind of learned how to do this thing called life. We've kind of learned how to, uh, to, to do a thing. Like the old farmer's uh, insurance commercial. We, we know a thing or two because we've seen a thing or two. And, and God's designed it that way. And, uh, but, but then after that period of time, uh, our strength, we're not flourishing anymore. You know, we're not as young as we used to be. I'm getting to the point now to where I don't just jump off of a, a flight of stairs now. Uh, I, I watch carefully before I step. And, and I, I'm a little more careful when I bend over. Anybody know what I'm talking about? Now, I don't just bend over haphazardly to pick something up anymore. Because you might pull a muscle. And now, uh, instead of living on uh, energy drinks and, uh, and candy, you're living on ibuprofen. And, and things are just a little different uh, as you get older. Now, notice what, he's, what he says. All of our days are passed away. Uh, excuse me. Uh, in verse 7, he says, We're consumed by your anger. And by your wrath, we are troubled. Now, what Moses is saying here is that the reason there's so much trouble in the world is because of the wrath of God. Now, that doesn't mean that God's constantly angry with us. We know that he's not because Jesus Christ has satisfied the demands of the holy God. But the Bible says that the wrath of, man is current, the wrath of God is currently being revealed against unrighteousness. You know the reason why the world is so broken? It's because the wrath of God is being revealed against the unrighteousness of this world. I want you to, in your own time, not right now, but I want you to look at Romans chapter 1, and I want you to look at the wrath of God and what the wrath of God is coming against. And I want you to compare what you see there with what you see in our society and tell me if you don't see a lot of similarities. And ultimately, what happens is that God gives people over to a reprobate mind. And I'm afraid we're at that point uh, now if we've not already gone over the cliff. And God is calling us to repentance. He's calling us to repentance. And, uh, and, and it's because of the wrath of God that the world's in the mess that it's in. Sin. He says in verse 8, he says, You have set our iniquities before you. He says, Our secret sins in the light of your countenance. Now, they're only secret to other people. They're not a secret to God. God is calling us to repent. God is calling us to get right with him. He, he who covers his sins will not prosper, but whosoever confesses and forsakes his sin will find mercy. God is calling us to repent. We, the Christian even ought to live in a constant state of repentance. Verse 9, all of our days are passed away in your wrath. We spend our years as a tale that is told. Isn't that the truth? We spend our years as a tale that is told. We're past, you know, life is hard. Life is hard. And that's one reason I have enjoyed so much teaching about the future that we have, the rapture and the millennial kingdom, because this world, even on the best day, life is still difficult. Uh, we're standing here right, this cemetery is right behind me. This cemetery behind me stands as a witness that life is hard, that the effects of sin and the fall of man are not hard for us to see. They're right in front of us. 
and bad things happen to, to each one of us. Now, verse 10, he says, the days of our years are three score years and ten. If you don't speak old English, that's, seven, that's 70. <laughs> and he says, if by reason of strength they be four score years, that's 80. Uh, yet is their strength labor and sorrow, for it is soon cut off and we fly away. Now, this is a principle. This is not a promise. This is not God promising that everybody's going to live to be 70. We know that some never make it that far. And we know that some live to be longer. But he says, the basic lifespan, you know, man's reasonable expectation under normal circumstances is he can expect to live 70 years maybe uh, as a minimum. And perhaps uh, he says by reason of strength. If you got good genes, if you got good cholesterol, if you get out and walk every once in a while, if you, if you eat a bran muffin instead of a Krispy Kreme donut, uh, you might be able to make it 80. Uh, if, you, if, you, if you eat eggs for breakfast or you don't eat eggs, you know, they never can figure out if it's good for you or not. So I just went ahead and I'm just covering all the bases. I, I went ahead and eat my eggs and uh, and, I, and I eat a lot of bacon, too, so the odds are not in my favor. But he says even uh, our years are three score and ten. He says, and, and their strength and labor is sorrow. Notice that at the end of verse 10. You know, when we get to be 60 and seven, 70 years old, you know, our bodies are not what they used to be. Now, um, <laughs> yes, that's true, isn't it? We're not where we used to be. Our outward man is perishing. But our inward man is renewed day by day. And it's kind of sad, isn't it? That by the time we actually get a little bit of knowledge in our head, by the time we get a little bit of experience under our belt, we're almost too old to enjoy it. You know, I've often thought, man, what if God could put, put my 47-year-old brain into an 18-year-old body? I'd be dangerous. But God designed it in such a way that, we don't, that, that that's not the way it works because it would be dangerous. God has, has he's designed it in such a way that our lives are fully dependent upon God. We, we never get to this place of nirvana, this state of utopia while we're here on earth. You know why? Because our home is in heaven. Our, our citizenship, our long home is not here. We are strangers and pilgrims in this world. And so he, te he said, teach us to number our days. It's soon cut off and we fly away, he says at the end of verse 10. Verse 11, who knows the power of your anger? Even according to your fear, so is your wrath. You know, most people have no concept of the wrath of God. They have no concept of the fact that God hates sin. Even when adversity comes their way, they don't turn to God. I, I'm always amazed, and it, 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 it grieves my spirit when people go through horrible trials of faith. I know people right now who have terminal illnesses, and I talk to them about the Lord Jesus Christ, and they still are unrepentant. And I think about this, you know, how, how soon they could quickly leave this world and spend eternity without God. And yet in their misery, even in their pain, they refuse to turn to God. So in verse 12, Moses prays the prayer, and he says, Teach us to number our days that we may apply our hearts unto wisdom. Teach us to number our days. I want to invite you to do a little experiment this morning about numbering your days. The Bible just said, Moses just said, that, that our years, our lifespan in general is, is around 70 years. And so I want you to multiply 70 by 365, and that'll give you a, 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 number, a number of days. That'll give you an average number of days that you have. And some of you think, well, I'm already, over, I'm already over 70 years old. Well, you ought to praise God. God's already given you some good time here on this earth. But I want you, if you're younger than 70, I want you to take that number, and then I want you to take the number of your age and multiply it by the number of days. And then I want you to subtract it from 70 years. And you see how many days you got left. 
And, and, and you know, I don't want you to do it every day because that might become a little, mor a little morbid. But, but let's put some perspective on this thing. We're only here for a little while, folks. We're only here for a little while. Teach us to number our days. Now consider how the children of Israel spent their days. Imagine this. Think about the monotony that the Exodus generation experienced. For 38 years, think of the monotony. They woke up. They ate some manna. They complained about it. And then they waited for the, 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 the pillar of cloud or the pillar of fire to move. And then they would move to another area. Then they'd wake up again and they'd eat manna and they'd complain about it. And then they'd wait for the cloud to move. For 38 years, nothing but monotony because of their sin at Kadesh Barnea. Nothing but monotony. And the only time they got a little excitement is when God would kill a bunch of them because they did something goofy. That was about the only time they got some excitement in their life. So think about the monotony of that experience all because they had unbelief and they refused to believe the living God. Teach us to number our days. Are you making the most of your time? Our time is short here, folks. Every day matters. Every day matters. Every day is a blessing from God. That's why Paul told the Ephesian believers, he said, we must be redeeming the time because the days are evil. Verse 13, he prays a prayer. Return, O Lord, how long? Let it repent thee concerning thy service. Now, when he says repent here, it doesn't mean that God needs to repent of sin. Repent means what? It means to change your mind. He says, God, I want you to change your mind. You know, I know what you've done with, with the children of Israel here for the last 38 years. There's been over 100 funerals, or, or, or roughly 100 funerals uh, every day. And, and, and God, don't let that be for the future generation. You know what, church? If we don't learn from our mistakes we are doomed to repeat those same mistakes. I am afraid for our country because we are trying to revise and rewrite the history of our nation. And any nation that does that is doomed to repeat those same failures. We have to remember. We have to remember and number our days. He says, repent. Uh, verse 14, satisfy us early with your mercy. The Hebrew word is hesed or chesed. And it talks about the loving kindness of God. It's a Hebrew word that I would invite you to do some study on. It's, a, it's an amazing word. But it talks, it's, a, it's talking about the steadfast love of our God. God loves you. God loves you so much. If nobody's told you that today, let me just tell you on this Father's Day, Lord, God loves you. Jesus loves you. People say, well, Henry, nobody loves me. That's not true. God loves you. You say, well, I don't, you don't know what I've done. Let me let you in on a little secret. In Romans chapter 5, Paul says this about God's love. He says that God demonstrated his love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Before you ever thought anything about God, God was thinking about you. Before you ever were born, Jesus Christ died for all of your sins that were yet future. God so loved the world that he gave himself. He gave his only begotten son. And Paul prays a prayer for the Ephesian believers. And I, I love to pray that prayer. He prays for the Ephesian believers. He's talking about Christians now. Paul doesn't write to unbelievers. He writes to Christians. And you know what he prays for those Christians at Ephesus? He says, I pray that you may be able to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and the length and the depth and the height. That's four dimensions, by the way. We live in a three-dimensional world. He says, I want you to think about all these four dimensions of God's love that surpasses knowledge. Your mind cannot even comprehend how much God loves you. S soak on that for a minute. Meditate on that. Selah. God 
loves you with an everlasting love. We're moving on now. Satisfy us with your mercy that we may rejoice and be glad. Rejoicing is outward. Gladness is inward. God wants us to have joy on the outside and joy on the inside. All of our days. Verse 15. Make us glad according to the days wherein you have afflicted us and the years where we have seen evil. Notice this prayer that Moses is praying. Please don't miss, miss this. He says for, for 40 years, especially the last 38 years, God, it's been a time of misery. It's been a time of misery. He says, I don't want that to be the fate of these, uh, these wilderness generation, Joshua's generation that's coming in. I don't want them to experience the same hardships that we did because of our unbelief. He said, according to the days and the years, he said, I want you to, just like you blessed, just like you basically cursed us for 40 years, God, I want you to bless this new group for 40 years. You know what my prayer is for each one of us here in this parking lot and those who might be watching on Facebook is that God will not only restore the stuff that the devil has stolen from us, but that God will restore the years. You ever read that in Joel where God says, I'll restore the years that the canker worm and the locust has stolen, the palmer worm. Uh, do you know the devil not only wants to steal the, the stuff away from you, he, don't, he not only wants to take things from you, but he wants to take time away from you. I think about a lot of time I've lost. I think about years that the enemy has stolen from me. I think about many days that the enemy has stolen from me. And I pray that God would restore not only the days, not only the stuff, but restore the years back to us. Let your work appear unto all your servants and your glory unto their children. In other words, my prayer, my prayer for the children of Israel, he said, I want these to begin to, I want these people to have your reputation that they are the people of God, that these are the people that God has blessed. And I believe that's what God wants for us. I believe God wants us to walk around in such a way and to live our lives in such a way that people can look at us and say that they are living under the favor of God. Uh, there was an expression that was popular several years ago, living in the fog, the acronym F-O-G, living in the fog. What is that? The favor of God. Uh, and I believe God wants us to live in the favor of God. You know, the Bible says in the book of Proverbs, when a man's ways please the Lord, he makes even his enemies to be at peace with him. We can live in our lives in such a way that we have the favor of God. Now, that doesn't mean that life will be a bed of roses and that everything will always go our way. But it does mean that we can live with the blessing of God. Finally, verse 17. He says, let the beauty of the Lord our God be upon us and establish thou the work of our hands upon us. Yea, the work of our hands establish thou it. I'm reminded of the psalmist who says, except the Lord build the house, they labor in vain that build it. You see, we're building with all kinds of stuff. And I'm going to be teaching about the, uh, the, the judgment seat of Christ and, and, uh, and, and subsequent events to the rapture. And the Bible says that we're all going to appear before the judgment seat of Christ. Every Christian. Now, the unbeliever will appear before the white throne judgment. And they will be sentenced to the lake of fire. But the believer will appear before the bema seat. The, the judgment seat of Christ in Greek is bema Christos. And we will appear before that to receive things done in our body based on our works, not our sins, thank God, but on our works that we've done after becoming a Christian. How are you building, Paul said in 1 Corinthians chapter 3? He says, the foundation is Jesus Christ. You know, we're saved by grace, not by works. But now that we are saved, how are we building on that foundation? Are we building on that foundation precious stones, gold and silver, or are we building a bunch of dead works, a bunch of wood, hay, and stubble that when the fire is applied to it, it'll simply burn up? I want you to think about that as we leave this place today. Christian, live every day 
teach, uh, that God would teach us to number our days. The time is short. I believe the rapture is soon. Only God knows the day or the hour, but I believe the Lord is coming. But you know, n none of us knows when we're going to leave this world. None of us knows. There's a lot of people who plan to live a long time, and they met an untimely death. You may feel like death is a long way off, but it might come for you today. You may feel like, well, I'll just wait and get right with God when, on my deathbed. You might not have that opportunity. You may not have the benefit of a terminal illness to have time to get right with God. Your death may come suddenly. Your death may come suddenly. Or, and I believe this could happen at any moment, the trumpet could sound. That last trumpet could sound. And if you're ready, if you're ready to beat the Lord, you're going to be changed in a moment in the twinkling of an eye. L literally in an atom of time will be changed. And if you're not ready, you'll be left behind to suffer the horrors of the tribulation. And because you refuse to believe the truth, God will send you strong delusion to believe a lie. That's what Paul says in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2. So if you don't know Jesus as your Savior, I invite you today. You must come by the way of the cross, repent of your sins, and ask God to come into your life. Ask the Holy Spirit to come into your life and save your soul. Call on the name of the Lord. Believer, you need to ask the Lord to help you to number your days and to, to, make the most, to, to make the most of every opportunity for his kingdom and for his glory. God bless you. Brother Ronnie.